we began a series of messages in January talking about the next level. We started looking at missions. We've moved in the month of February to ministry. Two weeks ago, if you remember, we talked about a dramatic cultural shift that has happened through the generations in, our, in the United States. We have gone from what was primarily a Christian and churched nation to what is primarily now a, a, an unchurched nation, even though many, the vast majority, claim to be Christian, and yet the numbers connected to a local church have dramatically declined with generations. We've gone from being a, a nation where uh, people considered themselves to be followers of Jesus to a nation where people consider themselves primarily simply be spiritual but not necessarily religious. We've gone from being a nation where people saw Jesus as Savior and Lord to where the majority now see him as a good teacher and a philosopher but not Lord of their lives. If you'll bear with me this morning, I'd like to walk with you through some of these generations and let you see the change. If you don't mind, let's begin with the builder generation since going much further back is kind of irrelevant. The builder generation are those who were born before 1946. That generation is probably the most church generation that that we know of. 65% were Christians who had some connection with a church. That leaves only about 35%, if my math is correct, and since I checked it, I know that it is. Only 35% who we would consider to be unchurched. The next generation are the baby boomers, the boomer generation. These are those who were born between 1946 and 1964. I barely squeaked into this one. I want you to notice something. A dramatic change took place between those who were the builder generation and those who were the boomer generation. It went from being 65% of those who called themselves Christians and had a connection with the church to being 65% unchurched, meaning 35% only Christians who were connected in some way to a local church. Dramatic shift took place in the mindset where church now became less relevant in their lives And a majority of the generation saw church as being little more than ritual and religion. The next generation to come along, much smaller in numbers, were the baby busters, the buster generation, also called Generation X, those born between 1965 and 1979. Look at this. Only 15% of this generation are Christian and have a connection to a local church in some meaningful way. 85% do not. This generation considered themselves to be spiritual, though not religious. You see where the numbers are going? It's not in a real positive direction. The next generation is called the millennial generation those who are born 1980 and later who basically became adults in the 21st century now here's the interesting thing before as i started going through these generations and started looking at this and studying this i figured this generation would be down around five percent i mean if you're just looking at where the numbers are going 
But surveys and studies that have been done, one primarily done by Thomas and Jess Rayner, and uh, they reported this in their book, The Millennials Connecting to America's Largest Generation. They've now displaced the boomer generation as being the largest. That perhaps 15% of this generation are Christian and connected to local church. Well, wait a minute. Wasn't that what we said about the previous generation? Is there something happening here that we need to notice? Is God doing something that we need to get on board with in this generation? The Rainers have called this a hinge generation. In other words, this generation, born in 1980 and later, this generation could go either way. Of this generation, the Rainer said that 96% of these millennials believe that they'll do something great. 96% believe that they will do something great in their lifetimes. They are not content to sit on the sidelines or in church vernacular to sit on the pews. They want to make a difference in the world. So let me tell you what they're looking for. They're looking to see if the church wants to make a difference in the world. They're looking to see if the church's deeds match its words. They're looking for integrity. They're looking to see faith put into action. Do we really mean what we say? Or are we just saying it because it's the religious thing to do? Now, as I look at this generation and pray for this generation, it is becoming readily apparent that if the church can put the right, not image, but if we can put the right picture in front of them of a group of people who have been transformed by the grace of God and whose lives express that loving grace and positive and life-changing ways, then perhaps this generation could reverse the trend so the local church once again becomes relevant in the, the lives of these people and relevant in the lives of our community. Maybe you recall a couple of weeks ago I gave you some statistics from LifeWay Research. It said this, 79% of unchurched Americans think that Christianity today is more about organized religion that about loving God and loving people, and that 86% believe that they can have a good relationship with God without being involved in church. That's, that is the environment in which the church is operating. And perhaps those who are in the generations before 1980, I'm not going to say we give up on them. We still need to try to reach them. But they may not be as open as these who were born after 1980. I believe with all my heart that that group of people may well be exactly what Thomas and Jess Rayner have written about. A hinge generation. 
So let me reiterate what I said a couple of weeks ago in a little bit different words. If we as a church are going to reach the unchurched generations around it, we are not going to do it simply by opening the doors and yelling, come and get it. That's not going to happen. We've got to move beyond the walls and connect with people where they are. And we do this not just by telling people, but by showing people. The gospel becomes real to people when the love and grace of God in Christ are both heard and seen. Consider this powerful challenge from God's word. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to open up to James chapter 2. James in the New Testament. You want to just keep going to the right. Going past the Gospels, letters of Paul, get to the book of Hebrews, slow down a little bit, you're almost there. If it says concordance on the top, you went too far. James chapter 2, want to look at verses 14 to 18. Would you stand with me as we honor the reading of God's true and holy word? What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save him? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I'll show you my faith by what I do. Father, would you help us to understand, accept, and apply this word to our hearts? We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. The challenge for the 21st century church is to have the compassion of God living in our hearts and the compassion of God being displayed in our actions. Think about that for a moment. The challenge is not believing the truth. We believe the truth. The challenge will be to have genuine compassion in our hearts. But beyond that, to put that compassion into action. I'm going to give you a theological term. There won't be a test on this. Don't worry about it. But it's always good to know a few extra things. The word is incarnation. We hear about it a little bit at Christmas time, don't we? It's most often used in reference to Jesus Christ himself. Jesus is God incarnate. And that term literally means embodied in the flesh. In the flesh. God come to us in flesh. That's what that word incarnation means. And we see this truth about Jesus readily in Scripture. In John chapter 1, verse 14, the word that is Jesus became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We see it in Colossians 2, 9, for in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. The incarnation that Jesus, God came to us in the flesh is a central doctrine to the Christian faith. We hold solidly to this. Now keep the incarnation in mind as I read to you this next verse 
from 1 Corinthians chapter 12. You are the body of Christ. And each one of you is a part of it. Now think about this. Jesus, God in the flesh, you and I, the body of Christ, filled with the Spirit of God. Here's what we need to understand. When Jesus walked on the earth, he was eyeball to eyeball with real, everyday, common people. He rubbed shoulders with those who were broken and hurting and sinful. He brought grace into the streets. He met people where they were. He spoke the truth to them, but he did so in love. And everywhere he went, he offered hope. If this is where the body of Jesus was 2,000 years ago in the streets, where should the body of Jesus be today? Sadly, for many churches, he's locked up behind doors in a nice building with a steeple. What good is it, James would say, if we shout from the rooftops that we have faith, but that faith does not lead us to be like Christ and to be where Christ would be? What good is it if we speak kind words to those who are hurting, to those who are suffering, to those who are in need, but we do nothing to reach into their lives with active grace being there at the point of their need God's word slams broadside into that kind of thinking faith by itself if it is not accompanied by action is dead now that word dead in the Greek means dead There's no trick here. There's no way to explain this thing away. What James is saying is, yes, we're saved by grace through faith, and it's not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, and it's not by works so that no man should boast, but that you and I are created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he planned in advance for us to do. God already, before you believed in Jesus Christ and accepted him, God had this marvelous, grace-filled to-do list for you. God planned in advance for you who have been converted, for you who have been changed and transformed, for you who've come to know what love and grace and mercy are all about. He planned for you to take that to the streets, to engage people where they are, to rub elbows with sinners, not just saints. That's what God prepared you to do. And so James says, listen, you say you have faith, but when I look, I see nothing. Yes, you come to church. Yes, you put money in the offering plate. Yes, you know... You dress right. You smell right. 
But when I look deeper, when I scratch beneath the surface, I see nothing living. There's no life. It's dead. The Gospels reveal a Jesus who had compassion. But they also reveal a Jesus whose compassion led him to action. Jesus knew nothing of empty sentiments. Go, I wish you well. When we see Jesus, we see compassion in action. We see that love always led to a response, not to indifference. And we rob the gospel of its potential influence when we display a faith without action. I got to tell you, it's what this generation of people who are 20 and under, 30 and under are looking for. They're looking for a faith that has something under the surface. Nancy and I, after we got married, we moved to Texas. I honestly think that one of the best things that any couple could do is get married and leave. To go away where it's just you and me against the world kind of thing. We moved to Texas. We found jobs. I finally got one. I got one of the best jobs a seminary student could have. I went to work with Piedmont Airlines. If you, don't, if you hadn't heard of Piedmont, that's okay. They no longer exist. It wasn't my fault. Went to work for Piedmont Airlines. A great job because it gave me free flight benefits so that we could fly back and see family, which is a really good thing to have. It paid pretty well, too, and the hours were flexible enough that I could go to school and and work, and it all worked out real well. But we were kind of poor. We didn't have a lot of money. And it was required that I have a pair of of black steel-toed boots The only problem was when I went to Walmart or Kmart or Stuff Mart or whichever mart it was to find some shoes, the brown ones were $10 less than the black ones. And so what I would do is I bought the brown ones for $10 less and I bought a can of spray paint for three bucks. Very frugal, save seven bucks. Spray painted those boots. Anybody ever been there? I don't know. Spray painted the boots. I, I'm also the guy that had stapled the, uh, the, the hem on my, my pants too because they were too long. But the only problem with those black spray painted boots was when I got up there in those cargo bins and started crawling around, it kept scraping the paint off. I probably spent more in paint and black shoe polish than I would if I'd already gone and bought the black boots. What's that got to do with this? There are a lot of believers who are spray painted. But when you scratch beneath the surface, you don't see the same thing. They talk a good game. They know the right words. And yet, when you look at their lives... There's nothing there that looks like Jesus. You don't hear words of compassion coming out of their mouths 
or acts of compassion being done with their hands. And this world desperately needs an authentic reflection of Jesus. They've tried the church and found it wanting. Not because the music wasn't good enough. Not because the preaching wasn't good enough. Not because the buildings weren't good enough. But because when they scratched on the surface, what they saw underneath was not like what they saw on Sunday morning. This generation is looking for an authentic expression of Jesus. And if it's not us, who is it going to be? If this hinge doesn't swing the other way, do you recognize that this group now could go from 15 to 10 to 5? And we end up becoming, unfortunately, what Europe is, a secular nation or secular region of the world. Where churches are turned into restaurants and museums. I don't want us to be that. But if we keep doing what we've been doing for the last few generations, we're going to keep getting what we've been getting. It is no longer enough to say the right things. Do that. But we also have to do the right things. To show that what we say is real. I like what Robert Lewis, the pastor of Fellowship Bible Church in Little Rock, had to say. He defines the church this way. The church is a community of people who present living proof of a loving God to a watching world. Living proof of a loving God to a watching world. See, the church out, unchurched outside these walls need to see a cause worth living for and a Christ worth dying for. Our actions will either validate or invalidate our message. We make it real when we put our faith into action. They're looking for a cause worth living for and a Christ worth dying for. So where do we go from here? Let me share with you some action points that I would like us to consider and pray about and perhaps put into practice in our own lives. The first action item is this. Ask God to open your eyes so that you can see the people around you. That's where it begins. If you can't see the needs around you and have a heart of compassion, anything else you do is going to be empty or non-existent. The first thing we have to do is say, okay, God, I'm going through my life. I'm trying to get from point A to point B as quickly as I can, but I want to ask you to open my eyes between point A and point B to see people. That can be really difficult because we're busy 
and we have interstates, and we're on our way. It's hard to stop and see people. But the next time you're in the grocery store, look at the people. When you're at the checkout line, look at the name badge of the person who's ringing you out. They have a name. They have a story. If you go out and eat lunch after the service today, get the name of your server. They have a name. They're real. They have issues. The next time you're waiting to get your car serviced and you sit down, engage the person next to you. These are real people. And guess what? God loves them as much as he loves you. I know it may be hard for you to believe because you're so lovable. But God loves them. Desperately he loves them. And we need to say, God, would you please just open my eyes so I can literally see people. The second action item is this. Ask God to soften your heart to hurt with the hurting you may want to stop with the first one because this next one is not comfortable. Are we willing to go to God and say, okay, God, I want to have compassion. If you'll remember, Jesus said when he, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. They were helpless and hopeless. Are we willing to go to God and say, okay, God, I not only want you to let me see people, really open my eyes and see people, I want to know their hurts so that I can hurt with them. Does someone remember that definition of compassion from a couple weeks ago? Anybody? Somebody from my grace group better. What is compassion? To suffer with. Are we willing to say God to God, not only do I want to see it, I want to feel it. The third action item is this. Ask God to raise up believers to engage the hurting and hopeless. Ask God to raise up men and women and young people who believe in him, who are willing to engage the hurting and hopeless. Now, again, you may want to stop with number two. You may not want to go to this one because if you'll remember when Jesus asked the disciples to pray to the Lord of the harvest, to raise up the harvesters to go out into the field, if you go to the next chapter, the disciples are going. And, and here's what happens. When we begin to see the need, and Jesus, first thing Jesus said was, look, the fields are, are ready for harvest. When we see the need, when we feel the need, and we begin to ask God to raise up people to meet the need, you know what's going to happen? God's going to come up, and he's going to tap us on the shoulder and say, Scott, what about you? Adrian, what about you? Yvonne, what about you? 
This is what's going to happen, folks. I'm telling you, it's a dangerous thing to get real about your faith. To ask God to help you to see the hurting. To ask God to help you to feel their pain so that you can suffer with them. And it's a dangerous thing to begin to pray that God's going to raise up somebody to engage them at the point of their need. Now, if you're bold enough to ask God to open your eyes, to ask God to change your heart, and to ask God to raise people up, then here's your fourth action item. Commit to God to go where he leads you and to do what he calls you to do. This goes beyond now the it's out there somewhere for somebody else to do. This gets to the core of who you are, okay? Not only, God, am I asking you to open my eyes and and to change my heart, not only am I asking you to raise up people, but I'm committing, God, that if you put your hand on my shoulder and say, okay, it's you, then, then my response is going to be, here am I, send me. The only sufficient answer to God's call on our life is yes. Yes. We need to be like Jesus in our lifestyles, but also in our commitment. Do you remember Jesus as he stood in the shadow of the cross? as he knelt there in the Garden of Gethsemane and he prayed and his sweat was like drops of blood and his honest prayer before his father was, if there's any way, if there's any other course, if there's any other path, would you take this cup from me, that is the cup of wrath, would you remove it from me so that I would not experience your wrath as I take on the sinful world? God, if there's any other way, Let this cup pass from me. But it's not my will I want. Let yours be done. That prayer led to a cross. And that cross led to your salvation and mine. I got to tell you, folks. This world needs Jesus people. People who reflect not just his truth, we got to do that, but his love. You've got the action items. They're written down there for you. What are you going to do with them? For some of you, they'll stay stuffed in your Bible. You'll finally get so many papers in there, you finally decide to clean it out. For some of you, you'll actually take it out, and for a day or two, you'll think about it. For some of you, you know you've got it coming up in your grace group, you're going to be studying this, and so you'll hang on to it for about a week. But for a handful of you, and sadly, it probably just is a handful. You're going to take these action items and embrace them. And your life is going to be changed forever. And I pray that you are among that handful. Because it's an unchurched world. 
that needs to see a genuine expression of Jesus. And they're looking at you.